This episode of Pop Health Week is sponsored by Health Innovation Media. Health Innovation Media brings your brand narrative alive, both on the ground and in the virtual space, for major trade show, conference, and innovation summits via our signature pop-up studio. Connect with us at www.popupstudio.productions. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media and the producer co-host of Pop Health Week, Flying Solo Today. Our guest making an encore appearance is Michael Peterson, MD, Senior Manager and the Health Equity and Health Innovation Lead at Accenture Health and Public Service for North America. Dr. Peterson is a transformative physician executive who focuses on helping clients solve complex problems such as promoting health equity by focusing on key social determinants of health through data and analytics. As a seasoned physician executive, he has more than 15 years of clinical experience as an emergency medicine pediatrician at SSM Health Systems, St. Luke's Hospital, and Barnes-Jewish St. Peter's Hospital, where he spent five years as the chief of pediatrics. He developed his proven leadership skills while serving in the United States Army. Michael, welcome to Pop Health Week. Hi, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Delighted you can schedule time on your busy schedule. So before we get started, because there's a lot to cover, first up, give us a, a, a thumbnail about you, your, your glide path, uh, what drew you to medicine, perhaps, and, and now what called you to your current role at Accenture Health, and tell us a little bit about what that is. Well, we don't have enough time to go through the whole uh, fingerprint of my life, but I will just give you the quick and dirty, uh, just the calling to pediatrics as a result of me being adopted when I was two really led me to this career and journey just so that I could continue to pay it forward. So uh, 12 years of pediatric emergency medicine put me in the front lines of poverty, socioeconomic despair in terms of the patients that I was taking care of. And uh, it just really was an amazing experience. And I just felt that uh, what got me to Accenture was just the idea that instead of a transactional experience of one patient at a time, which are incredibly meaningful and I wouldn't, and a humbling privilege to have uh, that experience, I felt I wanted to sort of widen the angle lens uh, a little bit about what I could do. Uh, and Accenture has afforded me this. Uh, I'm a uh, principal of which in our North America practice, and I lead social determinants of health or health equity practice, but I also get to play in our innovation space. So I really sit in our health practice, which includes payer and the provider health hospital systems, and, and I have a lot of cross-industry roles into life sciences and uh, public service, uh, public health, uh, which is really great because the confluence of all these entities are, are being, as you know, uh, thrown together. So I get to uh, play a role you bring in the social appearance of health, health factors and influencers, uh, knowledge into all these different aspects of industry. What I'm trying to do is bring a lens of how might we help our clients solve health equity in a space that's been struggling. Uh, as we all know, social appearance of health is a, a very ubiquitous term in the last five to ten years, but recently has gained a lot of um, sort of accelerated visibility uh, in, in the language, but uh, really, it's really around that our clients are trying to do the work of an altruistic mission, whether they're a payer or a provider. And so what I want to bring is a set of capabilities and industry expertise to helping them 
accelerate or catalyze their efforts of, of where they're at in the social treatments of health journey or in the patient engagement journey of their attempts or mission to try and reach vulnerable populations. So uh, what I get to do is have these conversations, but also bring our way of solving it through what we would like to think through is around person-centered health, which is kind of the theme now, uh, but really around also getting smarter about how you look at a population of people from a trusted, culturally competent perspective. And it's taking the intersection of where patients will be getting help naturally at the health system, but connecting them to social services and the help that they would need so that we can address these inequities, but really at a community level through these uh, cohesive, uh, you know, like a cohesive ecosystem of partners. And we've been talking about population health and the social determinants of health for quite some time. However, I believe we've been dealt a severe blow by the COVID-19 pandemic, which is a disruption at global scale, unlike perhaps anything we've seen, certainly in my lifetime. But talk a little bit about what you're seeing and what some of the companies that you're aware of or working with are doing to, shall we say, survive and eventually thrive? It's a great question, Greg. I do think it's a whole new world. What we knew before uh, COVID break broke out is, is not the world we're dealing with now. So I would say that, you know, and we use the word disruptive a lot. I think it's a overly used term in health. We kind of think of it as a technology. Just, you know, and I would say that what COVID has done is we've already had all the pieces uh, of health that sat around to truly try and solve very complicated problems. But what COVID has really done is it's accelerated. It's been more of an accelerant to activating, as you saw, or as we've all seen, just the way health is delivered. And then what, what I mean by that is there's several sort of impacts. One is the new, new normal, right? We go from a sort of what I would call the pre-COVID, but now the new normal is that uh, we're trying to build a place where people are safe and they have to social distance. And, and the way you think through uh, interacting with the population, and we know that trust is going to be a huge issue, whether you trust the restaurant you go to or you trust the exposure that you might get from an interaction uh, in, in a community setting. So from that perspective, what we've seen is, is that there's this, the whole new world is really going to this, uh, especially in health, uh, this new virtual space, right? And so the big, I, I would say, output of what we've learned in COVID is that telehealth, telemedicine is uh, just skyrocketed in its adoption and usage, right? And if there was no COVID, I think health would have taken its sweet time getting there. And so I think it is an accelerant to that technology, but we have to be realistic. And as we think about health equity, there is a untoward side effect of this technology to keep people safe and, and being able to see their clinicians, but also at the same time, not everybody has equal access. So a digital inequity exists. So the uh, issue around the health inequities on digital access was seen not just in health, but also in education. So in parents who had to keep their kids home, you saw that not all children had access to a Wi-Fi or broadband, or laptop computers. And so in that same concept, how might we think differently around how to build better equity for those who don't have access to a digital app through a hospital system. So we have to kind of think through uh, what does uh, health equity mean in that space. So we learned that in COVID that not all, not everybody um, had that same access. So, you know, as the accelerant to these problems, we've also started to see, you know, have lots of friends on the front lines in New York and all across the United States that really started to see a disproportionate impact. And we've all seen and, and know for a fact that African-Americans or people of color 
populations were absolutely devastated by the statistics that illuminated, if you will, the sort of the public health infrastructure and health infrastructure that wasn't fully solvent, I would say, uh, in, in order to have its fractures in, in the system. And so when you see that, you know, 60% of Native Americans are impacted in New Mexico or, you know, 22% of U.S. counties were disproportionately black and 58% of that 22% were uh, COVID-related mortality. There's tons of facts that we saw, but most public health experts would say they're not surprised by the risk uh, and the sort of impact in vulnerable populations because the same populations are who are impacted, who were impacted before COVID. So it's commonly said that COVID is a pandemic on top of an epidemic of poverty and socioeconomic vulnerability. And I think when you think through why people were having such a higher rate of mortality, it starts to look back and you, you, you start to you know, find focus on the lens here and you start to see that these inequities existed well before COVID hit. And it's a problem we have to solve. And so I think when you think through the pandemic now, which is still ongoing, I'm in Texas and it's becoming quickly the epicenter, the, you know, similar to New York City, we are not out of the woods. And I think that as a health industry, you match it with the racial, social justice conversation, the light has shown even more that the opportunity to solve health equity, if not now, when, is kind of the question I often ask. And we have to do it together. Yeah, absolutely. A pandemic on top of an epidemic of essentially, we use the term health equity, but in truth, it's really more health inequities that we're trying to put the lens on now. Yeah, absolutely. It is, there are so many. Um, and, you know, when you think of uh, Dr. Uh, Boyce from uh, uh, Chief of uh, Division of Developmental Medicine at UCSF said, that socioeconomic status is the most powerful predictor predictor of disease. It's kind of intuitive. We would, one would anecdotally think about that, but what we what we often forget is that the confluence or that intersection of where patients get help. If we just solve the ear infection or the you know reactive transactional experience of why they came to visit us without solving other things and taking that opportunity to help understand which socioeconomic or inequity could we help solve for if it's transportation, if it's food insecurity at that point of care, even though one would argue that that's not the place to do it, but it's the place it's going to happen. And, and in our, you know, what we see as a health new future, there is going to be this, I would say, society is going to be, you know, we're going to wrap, connect people to these community services in the future through pro- public and private sectors, as you've seen this massive philanthropic commitment from a lot of the health payers, uh, as well as private industry technology companies to, to really solve racial injustice, but also that's going to spill into health. And it's that, I would say, that health and social services will forever be linked at these points of care. And the, there is an opportunity to take the moment and the heroism of all my colleagues on the front lines and take that energy and that hero status and just let's take that opportunity for them to help drive some of these health inequities, they've done it, right? You've seen the white coats for black lives sort of um, all throughout all our hospital systems. Uh, it's just a, an amazing statement, but let's get beyond sort of the knowing and the doing, and we all know these exist. So I think it's the inequities are not unsolvable. I think they are, the opportunity to solve them is now. It's just a matter of activating and uh, catalyzing the, the things that existed before and is bringing the right sets of ideas and the right people around uh, a problem that uh, they can solve. So we, you know, from our last conversation in September, 
I think one thing I said is uh, you're not going to solve it all. You can't. It's not possible. So the only way to really think through solving health inequities is to find the one thing, you know, you, I would say just pick your spot and, and build the right ecosystem and the right sets of data and sets of experiences that you want to solve for. Uh, but you have to do it with the community. And I think if you don't, these inequities will never be solved because it'll be just a high level trying to solve, send down a solution from on high that they think it's going to have engagement when if you don't have this person-centered experience design in the beginning involving the community and, and connecting to the community meaningfully with trust, I think you would have, um, you, you'll continue to have challenges. And, and I think we've seen that in, in sort of, when you look back retrospectively, uh, at how health has tried to solve some of these, uh, what's often missing is the uh, anthropologic or ethnographic uh, perspective of the people you're trying to help. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Pop Health Week. Our guest is Michael Peterson, MD, Senior Manager and Health Equity and Health Innovation Lead at Accenture Health and Public Service. So we're in a, a stress test of an unprecedented nature right now in Houston, a COVID hotbed at the moment. The Texas Medical Center, huge campus, tons of competing organizations. I have no idea what the bed count is, but I heard the county executive say that they're at somewhere between 97 and 98% of ICU bed capacity. It, mm-hmm. it, it's hard for the mind to understand how that could happen so quickly when you have a market with such capacity. Is there anything you can share about what that means, uh, both in terms of the pandemic as well as the stress on U.S. health systems? You know, I think that's a great observation. I did go to medical school in Houston, so I'm very familiar with the Texas Medical Center. And I could tell you at least 50 times I'd explain uh, or at least share with a tourist or someone not familiar with the area that that was not downtown. It's that big. It looks like it's downtown. To your point, I think a lot of this has to do with, you know, let's just go to basic science. When the Texas Medical Center, the largest medical center in the world, is stressed, it's not just the bed availability that's stressed, right? It is the frontline workers and the people who work in that hospital, from the person who is the security guard all the way to the, the surgeon or the doctors that are working on patients, ICU doctors, and the, there's a stress on their mental health, stamina, and capability. When you think of how crazy it sounds, it seems unreasonable, but if you go, we were in conversations um, with a lot of the health uh, entities, and they were thinking about this. They knew this day was coming. I think what ends up happening is that when they look back at what happened in New York, I think there's this thinking that that's in New York and our counts here are low. What is challenging and and how this happens is that you have sort of a, and I think the governor of California has said it best, is that the dimmer switch for opening and closing, you know, their philosophy from a government perspective is this balance of how do I keep people safe, but at the same time, how do we keep them economically safe? And, um, you know, skirting that whole political slash economic discussion, I would say that what, what we're challenged with now is that, it's happened. So the governor opened the state. There are a set of public health circumstances and I would say downstream effects that are impacting right now. But at the end of the day, it's also around, I would say, our own personal responsibility. What we're seeing is just the, the virus itself is, is pervasive. It spreads rapidly. 
And I think what's happening in Houston and Dallas now as well, as you're familiar with even in Austin, is that you're starting – there's such a lag in the data. So if you're trying to be smart about where you're going to track and trace or even understand where an outbreak or an epicenter is, the lag in, in some of the data is so far behind that you actually have to predict at least two weeks in advance because you're not going to see some of the outcomes, the negative outcomes of just infectivity. But then the mortality piece is such a lagging indicator as well. So when you look at this bed space, and I think the example you're almost brought, going to bring up, I'm going to guess, was that Children's Hospital, Texas Children's Hospital starting to admit adults into their ICU. And I think the Texas Medical Center has been in prepared for this as best they can. I just think that what ends up happening is the uh, virus itself and the impact it has on communities and what we were having discussions around communities of color or vulnerable populations is that how do they think through trying to keep them safe, right? I think the safest things for people who are vulnerable is obviously to stay home and how do you get that messaging out? So I, I, I don't have an answer to that. I can only tell you that I'm, you know, I'm a volunteer uh, to go back into practice. I still licensed in Texas and I'm ready to go if needed. I think it is a, it is a serious issue in terms of resources and in terms of availability that I think uh, it's, it's, it's really wrapped around how does government together with hospital systems, together with private industry, really try to think through keeping people safe, but also minimizing the usage of, or the, uh, I would say, the utilization of the health system. And the only way that to really do that is to go old school and go back to 1918 and socially distance. Oh, and also wear a mask. Good advice. So uh, the stressors obviously hit on labor impact. We have a certain elasticity in the in in the labor pool uh, but there are capacity strengths we know about the supply chain problems associated with um, personal protective equipment ppe uh, let, let's also talk about the digital angle here obviously we've been in an innovation economy now for perhaps close to a decade there's been a lot of discussion about hacking healthcare and leveraging digital tools what are you seeing there? Are, is there a digital divide, and does the matter of ethics pop up here at, at any level? Yeah. It's funny you said that. I, I just had that discussion this week with uh, some Accenture colleagues. I, I do think, um, you know, when we think about hacking this pandemic, the hackathon for nurses that I was involved with in May, which was really brilliant on how do their, how do you come up with solutions that keep what the nurses, uh, this organization really thought through was that the impact of the mental health impact on the frontline workers and how, to, how do you solve for uh, minimizing their mental health stress um, and negative untoward effects of this COVID virus. So uh, to the point around a, the, the, the digital capabilities, they do exist. And, and what I think is going to happen, let's just think future forward and then I'll address the uh, sort of digital ethics is that from a future forward perspective in the in health new future, we're thinking through, which is that in the world of trust, safety, distance, all of those you know, really core tenets of, of someone's consumption of health, we, we're going to see that that is going to be pushed more and more as much as possible uh, in the spaces where someone does not have to touch a, a patient in order to help with the diagnosis or uh, complete a procedure, right? So it's gonna, there's going to be some u- limited use. It's not going to be uh, ubiquitous across the whole healthcare spectrum. But there is going to be significant push towards that digital, I would say, capability. But let's be realistic, too. Uh, in the way that we probably weren't prepared really well for PPE 
and everyone having had to go straight to electronic health records and just finishing all of that implementation, now comes this need and also an understanding that uh, there are challenges associated with the technical debt where the legacy systems can't support these really advanced digital experiences. So there's challenges internally for some of these health systems in payer and provider that just may not help with the utilization of even telehealth or telemedicine. So uh, they need to sort of look through their own sort of organizations and see where they're lacking. And, and, and we're talking about some that are not even in the cloud, right? So if you think through that transformation, there's going to be that transformation moving forward. Uh, we're going to see a lot of activity around that. Around the ethics, I'm glad you said that. I mean, I think, you know, Accenture's been the leading um, luminary in the thought of uh, ethical AI. And in the same vein, we really do have to think about ethics in the digital space. So yes, uh, we do think that a telehealth telemedicine experience for vulnerable populations would be an ideal way to keep them safe. But at the same time, they're challenged with not having Wi-Fi, broadband, or data plans that could support that tool. So we have to think of these private-public partnerships of really, if you're going to solve digital equity, uh, it has to be really thought through in the sense that everybody has access to the tools. Now, to your point about digital ethics, I think that's so important because when you design a digital tool, I think by its very inception of that design, it, it leaves out a certain population. And so when, you, when you're designing this tool, it has to really kind of be inclusive in the sense that the language of how the tool and, and how people are going to interact with it engage. And I think it gets down to this really granular level of how people consume health. And it's about the tool that people know work well for them or works well for them where they can get the help they need is the one that's going to be successful. It's going to be a trusted experience. And we're seeing a huge push in the industry towards experience. And I think the, the firms or the health system that comes up with an experience that's seamless, trusted, provides the right information, provides uh, a sense of um, racial equity, a sense of access, a sense of um, parity and in, in, in how, in, in how they were treated, all of those things put together, whoever comes with that is going to really, I think, bend the curve um, in helping solve some of these inequities that we described. From an ethics perspective, that very initial design of whatever digital experience or digital platform has to include or think through the ethical downstream ethical implications it has on communities. It's almost similar to the redlining uh, that some of our tech companies had, um, not our, but some tech companies had, uh, like Amazon, when they were trying to think through where they were going to put Amazon Prime. Uh, it's it's getting ahead of that that I think will help bring some equality. Now, let's just you know think through uh, when you think through when Martin Luther King was marching, it took a minute, and even today. Uh, hasn't truly been solved. So if we think about how we're going to start to plant the seeds of digital equity now, we have to seize this moment. And this moment isn't going to last forever. And I think if we don't grab it and try to make an effort to, to transform how we deliver health uh, so that's equitable for all populations of, uh, of, of the people we serve, I think we'll, we will be in the same spot. So I, I do think that we have to, to, to take that moment now to do it in a incredibly uh, empathetic, um, very uh, culturally competent uh, point of view. Well, Michael, in the remaining 
60 seconds of our conversation. I have so many more questions for you. <laughs> We've just scratched the surface. But uh, in, in the mode of um, uh, I really wanted to get to the resilience of the healthcare system and that all healthcare systems are not equally created. Some will endure this, uh, particularly those who have, assume, who have assumed risk, who are, not, who are pursuing value-based health might come out on the other side a little better than the others. But any final thoughts as we uh, wrap up this uh, this exchange? Yeah, um, this went by fast. We both knew that this was going to happen. It always does. No, thank you for the opportunity. I would say as a final thought, I feel like what COVID did, it, it helped accelerate these, the, the, some of the, putting some of the pieces that did exist. I think what we're going to see more is really wrapped around, I think, down to the, the future of healthcare, which will be, a lot of it remote, a lot of it with a lot of remote devices. I think what we have to think through is not just the tools uh, that are digital and that are technology, those are enablers, right, the analytics and all of that. I think we also have to think about health policy, and I know we didn't get into that, but there needs to be and should be a significant rethink of how data can inform health policy because some of these policies um, inhibit some of the innovation that we want to do in health, and some of them are are dated. And so uh, I would say that's something we would have to do to, in, you know, change that. I would also say that uh, companies need to think big, act fast. They have to catalyze this change. We have to do it together, and we all need a call of action. So let's take this moment. And I think that if we do that, we can at least start. And I just think about my kids and, and their kids' kids. So the things we're doing now is sowing the seeds that hopefully – the society that surrounds them when they're older is a society that where there's more equitable and access. And that'll be the last word on today's broadcast. I, I do want to thank Dr. Michael Peterson, Senior Manager and Health Equity and Health Innovation Lead at Accenture Health and Public Service for his time and insights today. For more information on Dr. Peterson's and Accenture Health's work in this space, do follow them on Twitter via at M Peterson, that's P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N underscore M-D, and at Accenture Health, respectively. And for more information on Accenture, go to www.accenture.com and click on the Industries tab. For Pop Health Week, my colleague Fred Goldstein and Health Innovation Media, this is Greg Masters saying, Please stay safe, everyone. We're in this together, and we will get through this together if we toe the line on social distancing, proper hygiene, and by all means, do wear those masks when in public. Bye now.